Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. You're listening to Linux in the Ham Shack. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source and amateur radio for everyone. Now here are your hosts, Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello everybody and welcome to episode number 215 of Linux in the Ham Shack. And I'm Russ, K5TUX, over there at... Yeah, Cheryl, after I hit my microphone. <laughs> things are going Hello, so well everyone. tonight. <laughs> and Bill is on assignment, uh, which means he's probably just getting ripped out in Colorado wow. for, the, for the rest of this week. But uh, we do have with us Don, KC9ZMY, to uh, maybe fill in some gaps for us. Good evening, everyone. Here from Chicago and not very ripped. I'm down in the basement. So <laughs> let's see how it all goes. All right. So far, so good. So what we're going to do tonight, since this is our deep dive episode, we're going to take a kind of shallow deep dive into a technology that I have really only successfully used today. I have tried to use it in the past, and I have really not put that much of a concerted effort into it, but today I actually buckled down and tried to get this thing working, and that technology is APRS. This is a technology that we've talked about on this show a lot, but we really haven't dug down into it. We've mentioned applications for using APRS. We've repeatedly mentioned that APRS stands for Automatic Packet Reporting System, not Automatic Position Reporting System, as most people like to call it. But I'm going to go here and let's uh, run through the Wikipedia little introduction. It's an amateur radio-based system for real-time digital communication of information of immediate value in the local area. Uh, Some of that's debatable. Data can include object global positioning system coordinates, weather station telemetry, text messages, announcements, queries, and other telemetry data. APRS data can be displayed on a map, which can show stations, objects, tracking, weather positions of stations, search and rescue data, and direction-finding information. So you can send and receive a lot of information using APRS. It is a digital mode transmission. It's packet, as in the same kind of packet as packet. It can be used with hardware terminal node controllers, TNCs, like packet radio is, because it's the same kind of digital mode communication. It's often used on VHF and UHF uh, for local communication and uh, telemetry information, weather spotting, and so forth. But there are, as I found out today, some HF uses for APRS as well. And I actually did receive today several APRS packets on 30 meters. There is a 30 meter calling frequency, which I can't remember off the top of my head, but you can look it up. They use a 300 baud on it instead of 1200 baud probably because the scope of HF includes a lot more noise and a lot more distortion and things like that, so they use the slower data rates to help with making sure the messages get through. But typically it's 1200 baud 
on VHF and UHF. And that would be the baud that you receive it in and send it in when you set it up in your terminal node controller. Now, there is a great software package that has come out. Actually, I don't know when it came out. Let me see if I can find that out real quick. It's called Direwolf. It's a software terminal node controller. Uh, We have talked about it in the past, but didn't really explore its uses. But I needed to explore its uses today because I do not have, or at least not have easy access to, uh, hardware TNC. So I needed some way to be able to decode packets in a TNC, and Direwolf was the answer. So Direwolf is a GitHub project. I believe it might also be included in some of the Debian repos. That I'm not sure. I built it directly from Git. Uh, it's a matter of, you know, a Git clone of the software, doing a make, sudo make install, and make init config, I think is the last step. The GitHub repo explains every way to download and install the software. It's pretty straightforward. And then you have to do some minimal configuration to get it to operate properly. Now, I will say that all of this so far has nothing to do with APRS specifically. This just has to do with connecting your rig to an audio interface to be able to receive and decode or send or encode and send information digitally. So this is only useful if you don't already have a TNC in your installation. So once you have Direwolf installed and you've run the initial configuration, you have to edit the direwolf.com file which in the default installation winds up in your home directory on a Linux system. And in there, you really only have to tweak a couple of things. You have to tweak your call sign. So you put that in uh, in the place where it says call sign. You have to set the baud rate, which defaults to 1200 baud, which is generally speaking correct. You have to set the proper ALSA device for your sound card and they use the plug HW convention. So it usually winds up being the first sound card would be zero, zero, second sound card would be one, zero, third would be two, zero, so on and so forth. If you have a somewhat confusing audio setup, this may be a little more difficult, but for me it was pretty much straightforward. And then you have to set up your PTT. So you have to set up a PTT line for slash dev slash TTY something something, and you set the pin modes, whether it's DTR high, RTS high, or some combination of the two, uh, in order to key up your rig to send data if you so wish. And once you've done that, it's actually really nice. You you start up Direwolf, and it creates two RPC ports, uh, port 8000, which is for KISS mode, and 8001, which is for... Uh, A-W-G-P-E or A-G-P-W-E, something like that. I'm going to have to look it up now. Somebody can, like, help me out. Let's see. <laughs> A-G-W-P-E, I think, is what it is. Anyway, it creates a port for KISS mode and for A-G-P-W... or W-P-E, A-G-W-P-E. So I'm going to remember that. Anyway, um, and the programs that interface with TNCs, like Zaster and Yak, Y-A-A-C can connect to that port using those modes, using either KISS mode or using AGWPE. Now, I tried it with both applications, and they both have their pluses and minuses, so we'll go over that a little bit now. 
Bruce, did you build X Aster from scratch or did you get a version of it off the some repo? Um, I installed Zaster directly out of the repo. So I'm using Debian Stable, which is Stretch currently. That worked fine. The Zaster was like 2.0.8 or something, I think. It was the current version of Zaster. Maybe maybe I'm remembering a different software package. But the version that I installed from the, from the repo uh, worked just fine. So I don't know if there's a, a newer one out there. There probably is. Uh, which, which one are you uh, or have you tried? Um, I, I built it from scratch. What I, what I was going to say is with the APRS, a lot of them seem to be very, very old. There doesn't seem to have been a lot of development on the, uh, APRS client side. There's, um, there's a windows thing that's, what is it? APRS Spicer something like that, which is like still windows 32, and then X Aster, which is um, pretty well just an X Windows version. It is it is kind of clunky. And then what is it? Yak, which is a Java implementation of uh, an APRS client. Though I haven't managed to make that one work too well. Um, I've I've done a bit of work with uh, like iGate on a Raspberry Pi using a TNC and a BeagleBone with a TNC attached to it, uh, and then just using APRS.fi for a GUI. But I am I found a lot of the um, client software to be pretty dated actually. So. Um, I was just curious which you had gone with, whether you had downloaded it or tried to build it, because it's a pain to build. Anyways. <laughs> yeah, I did not try and build Zaster. I just downloaded it. And it does have a rather dated-looking interface. I believe it uses the libmotif uh, widget set, so it does look rather old. But it's also functional still, So it, even though it doesn't have a really flashy kind of Web 2.0 appearance to it, you can still use it just fine. And uh, I might uh, pick your brain a little bit about iGate uh, towards the end of this because that's one of the things I did not get a chance to get to. So going back to regular client software, we'll talk a little bit about Zaster first. Um, I installed it, like I said, from the repos. It can be built if you so choose. Uh, the configuration of it is fairly straightforward. When it first fires up, you need to set your call sign. You can set your uh, HAAF information, which is, you know, your wattage and how high your antenna is and your dB gain and whether it's omni or directional and that kind of thing. Uh, that's all information that can be reported using APRS. So uh, once you've gotten through that, then you have to go to the interfaces drop down to configure a connection to your TNC. Now, if you have a hardware TNC, it's going to be located on some hardware port, like slash dev slash TTYS0 or something like that. Whereas if you're using uh, Direwolf, it will be either using AGWPE or KISS mode on a specific port, or Direwolf has this great option where you can run it with the dash P switch, and when it starts up, it actually creates a terminal interface in KISS mode. And it, what it does is it links a PTS to slash temp slash KISS TNC. And that's actually a link to a device file. So once you've got that started up, you can use uh, an application like Minicom 
or ProCom or something like that, depending on what system you're using, to connect directly to the virtual TNC interface. And if you do that, you'll actually have a window that shows you like a command prompt and will show you raw packet data that's being received from Direwolf, uh, which is coming off your sound card. So if you've set that up, then in Zaster, in the Interfaces tab, you can actually select a KISS mode TNC and use slash temp slash KISS TNC as the device file. And you set the baud rate to 19.2, I believe. And then when you connect to that, it uses it just as if it was a hardware TNC and, and works perfectly. That's, that's the way I set my Zaster up. And if you are actually receiving packets, um, whether it's on your HF rig on 30 meters or it's on your VHF rig somewhere in the 2-meter band, I had mine tuned to 144.39 uh, because I found that that was one of the common frequencies for reporting APRS data, that once the map shows up, assume, assuming you're appropriately zoomed somewhere around your station location, it will start populating data as the APRS packets come in. So you'll actually see stations and beacons and weather reports and mobile stations and tracking information all just sort of start to appear, which is pretty cool. And then there is some functionality where you can query those stations. You can get information from them. You can actually QSO with those stations through APRS. You can send them chat messages you can send them email. Uh, APRS has the ability to do digipeating, so you can set your station up to repeat information if you want. And this is all sort of part of the deep dive that I can't really get into because I didn't quite get that far. Uh, the other part of Zaster that I really wanted to get to was loading map data because you can import external map data into Zaster so you can have nicer looking maps. You can have topo information. Uh, you can have satellite information, you can have extended like road and political division information, uh, which is a lot more than Zaster comes with by default because it basically just has state lines and things like that. Very, very minimal information when it comes to what it shows you on the map. You can sort of tell where you are, uh, but it doesn't, it doesn't contain a whole lot of information. And I've seen lots of people who are using it who have these beautiful maps where they've imported external data, where they can show satellite information or actual images and roads and, and uh, topographical contours and all that kind of thing. But I had, did not get to the point where I could actually do that. So one of the nice things about yet another APRS client, or YAC, is that it uses the OpenStreetMap project, and it includes access to a lot of the data that's already in OpenStreetMap by default. So you get much better map view using Yak straight out of the box than you do with Zaster. Now, as Don already mentioned, Yak is a Java application. So the installation of it is actually pretty straightforward. There's a couple of things you have to do to get it to work. The first is you have to have a JRE. So you can use like Ice-T or... OpenJDK or something like that, but you have to have a Java JRE in order to run it. You also have to have libtxrx-java, which is a serial port interface module that allows 
Java to access your hardware serial devices. If you don't have that, then you're going to have a problem. And then you also have to have the unzip command because the jar file comes in a zip, even though the jar file itself is basically a zip file too. But what you have to do is then you, you have to go to the website for YAAC, and a link to that will be in the show notes, of course. You download the YAAC zip file. You just put it somewhere on your system, create a directory for it, and then unzip it into that directory. And once you've done that, there will be a few directories and a couple of files. And assuming that you have the proper Java modules and the JDK slash JRE installed, all you have to do to run it is type Java space dash jar space YAAC dot jar. And it will fire up. It will walk you through a wizard for configuration, which has like five screens. It's very simple to get through. And during that, you'll set your call sign information, your location information, your icon, and set up the interface to your TNC. And again, you know, in my case, using Direwolf, YAAC allows you to just say, you know, use an AGWPE interface or a KISS interface just using slash temp slash KISS TNC. But just remember, if you're using Direwolf and you want to use the KISS interface, you have to make sure that you start Direwolf with the dash P switch. Otherwise, it will not be available to you. And once you do that, then you get an open street map view of your QTH that's uh, zoomed in sort of quasi-appropriately. And then assuming that you're receiving data, your map will start to populate once again. And the way both of these applications work is if you want more information on a particular station or if you want to contact a particular station, you can right-click on the station icon on the map and you'll get a drop-down of different things you can do. And I don't actually have one of those drop-downs in front of me, so I can't tell you all the options, but there's lots of them. There's like query a station directly, send a message, get wither information, send an email, uh, and so on and so forth. There's lots of different things you can do with APRS. Uh, more than I actually really knew about until I started playing around with it. So I'm, I'm finding it really interesting, and I'm starting to see why people are actually interested in it. Um, but again, um, I only had like four hours to play with it. So my deep dive sort of ends around here, unless Don or folks in the chat room can uh, augment us. So if you want to, if you want to tell us a little bit about iGate and things like that, uh, and, and sending APRS data to and from the internet, that would be kind of interesting. Okay. So I've kind of gone at this a different way. Okay. Um, Initially, I saw all the mapping applications and all of that and thought, well, that's really cool and pretty. But I found, um, like I said, a lot of those applications were kind of dated. Now, Xaster is kind of nice if you like uh, um, Solaris or SunOS for your your GUI. Uh, <laughs> like I said, it's it's the motif. Um, but it does work. But if you want to build it from scratch, it is the nightmare of open source to to build because it's got so many dependencies. But so so what I started is I kind of went backwards and I started with um, now I've, while you've been talking, I've been busily scrambling trying to uh, get some links up here. But I started, um, there's a company, uh, 
TNCX from Coastal Chipworks. They make a TNC that fits on both a, um, well, they have two TNCs at least, but I got both of them. One fits on a Raspberry Pi and one fits on a Beagle Bone. And then, um, are you familiar with Hobby PCB? I am not, but I am now. Hobby PCB makes a board that you and I didn't that would plug onto the top of an Arduino, but it is a uh, uh, two meter, one point two meter, and uh, four forty transceiver at one watt, and then it has a uh, serial interface that you can control this thing with. So what they did is they took the TNC and wired it into that, and then um, took that and then used a a uh, package here just let me switch screens aprx and aprx is basically a command line utility that will connect to a tnc and route packets to and from the internet so now you have a fully functional eye gate built with like a beagle bone or a raspberry pi a tnc and then one of these hobby pcb boards and uh, I believe Hobby PCB also sell, sells a 5-watt amp for that thing. So if you want to hook it up to a DC antenna and start repeating packets on the air, you can also do that. You can set it up to repeat to the Internet. You can set it up to repeat on the air. There's a, a rather nice package called uh, APRX Droid that runs on a mobile phone. But if you... Uh, you know, you probably have a drawer of old phones <laughs> lying around that uh, you you don't really use. But if the GPS is good, you can fire up APRS Droid. If you get something like a mobile link TNC, which is a Bluetooth device, you can then plug that into, say, uh, a Bofang. And now you've got a complete tracker. So now you can start tracking stuff you can be repeating it with your eye gate and then you can go to the online resources like aprs.fi and see where you've been and what you've done and where everybody else is you could also use xaster on another workstation to access all of that too i've kind of built all that i put it away and i was just thinking tonight i was going to get it out again and set it back up uh, if I'd done it on the weekend, I would have actually had it running. But <laughs> so, so then that that's kind of what I've done. The other thing I've done is I have one of the ASU, uh, what is an FT2D, which actually is a fusion radio, and it's got built-in APRS and a GPS in it. So then you set it up and just it just starts sending out packets. So on the so. situation where you were talking about a second ago using APRS Droid and the uh, Bluetooth TNC, what was the third part of that? Oh, I plugged it into a Bofang. Okay, you plugged it into Bofang just for the just for the RF. For the RF, right? That's why I said you could have like uh, a cell phone. It doesn't even have a SIM card in it, as long as it's got... Or it will work over the audio jack, too, over the headphone jack. It's just, it's kind of easier with the, the Bluetooth TNC. As long as the GPS is sound, it can actually report those packets back. And it will report them back over the RF. 
So what did you use to connect the Baofeng to the TXC? Oh, it's got a little stub cable with the Kenwood two-pin adapter on it. If you go, uh, just a sec, moblink.com, mobilink, mobilinkd.com, that's a little Bluetooth TNC. So then, you, you know, like, like APRS is kind of set up like Ethernet, right, in that everybody can broadcast on, uh, what is it, 1469? So everybody can broadcast. Those are received by your I or your gateways, which may or may not be I gates, i.e., repeating to the internet. But then those gateways can re, uh, retransmit. So you got a low-powered, you know, your little five-watt tracker, one-watt tracker coming into a gateway, and then the gateway repeats that out. And that will be heard by other gateways in the area, and they will again repeat that out. And then eventually one will hit the Internet and stuff it in that way. You know, there's a point where you can have collisions, just like on Ethernet. And in the chat room, we also had a mention of uh, APRS ISCE32. That's another application we had mentioned a while ago, and I believe... That is a Windows application, which can be run in Wine, if I recall correctly. So that's another way, or another, like, client overlay, like, Zaster and YAAC that you can use uh, if you happen to have a Windows system or Wine. The interface is pretty similar to the other two. I mean, they, they all look kind of the same. They all, I believe, have the functionality for doing iGating, so you can... Uh, and I, and I believe with iGating, you actually have to connect to a server and have an account on said server. Is that correct for actually uh, forwarding information via the Internet? No, you just have to have a valid APRS ID. Remember, you've got to get that APRS ID. When you want to transmit into the APRS network, you have to. There's a website to go to. I can't look right now, but um you you've got to get an id there's a unique number you're assigned based on your call sign remember that uh you know this is ham radio so you got to have a, a call sign and you have to be authenticated per whatever method they use to allow you into the network so there is an id but once you have that you can stop packets in anywhere and let them go so in that way, it's similar to uh, Echolink, where you have to ha have an ID like on the network. Exactly. Exactly like Echolink. And then, as you alluded to, people tend to call it APRS, Automatic but Position Reporting System, and it isn't. It's Automatic Packet. And the, the data that can go into the packet actually is pretty free form. There is a standard that says this is what we're going to use for position reporting. But there's also standards for other kinds of data in there. For example, weather data. And a lot of weather people in the ham radio world are using APRS to feed weather data into the National Weather Service. So the APRS gateways are collecting up the data from the, the web station, stuffing it into the Internet. That actually goes into the APRS system, into this Internet thing of which the APRS.fi is part of. And the National Weather Service is actually looking at that data and peeling it back out and loading it into their databases. I've been uh, frantically searching for where where you obtain those IDs, and I can't find it. So. <laughs> uh, 
I, I can look. I can find it for you. Yeah, so if you want to get something in, you've got to do that. But that's only required for eye gating if you're just yes. want, yeah. yeah. Yeah, if you just set up a re, uh, if you're just going to receive, that's fine. If you're just going to repeat on the air, you're fine. It's only if you need to insert into the the internet. Well, actually, this uh, kind of fleshed out the information that I had quite nicely. So, I built the mostly on VHF. I haven't uh, actually done anything on HF though. When I when I was doing the dishes earlier, the uh, what's his name, the survival tech nord guy. OH8STN Survival Tech Nord he's got a teaser up on his uh YouTube this this week um for HFAPRS um that he was running when he was out in his tent north of 65 like I said I was looking earlier and there was a 30 meter frequency that was sort of like a calling frequency for APRS but I did not see any other frequencies at least on the HF bands listed for doing APRS and when I set up my station on my HF rig for listening to the 30 meter frequency uh in USB mode I think it was like 10 dot one four two dot seven or something like that uh i actually did receive several packages and are and uh or packets not packages and uh was able to map those and some of them were in canada and there were a couple like in europe and stuff like that so there are people out there on uh, hf aprs as well as uh local aprs use on vhf and uhf as well I'll have to try that. I've only tried the the VHF, and what I get around here is mostly truckers because I'm right on uh, I-94, I-90. So there's a lot of truckers coming through and that are beaconing. There is a way to do APRS, and you don't need a TNC. Like I said, if you use Direwolf, it, mm-hmm. it works really well. And you can use Zaster, APRS, ISCE32, uh, YAAC or any other Zaster client to get it to get involved uh, at least to do the mapping. All of those support eye gating uh, as well as digipeding. Uh, it just requires a little bit of extra configuration, which is not terribly difficult. Most of them have wizards or pretty logical configuration screens uh, for getting through most of that information. Uh, looking quickly here in the chat room, K7HVT says uh, he never registers with any server. And I assume that's in regards to iGating, that uh, logging in would be related to their web services. KB0OWD says that APRS, IS30, or ISC32, or ISCE32, or whatever the hell it is, uh, has a link to register your ID uh, with the iGate system if that is, in fact, required. So we might actually have to do like a brief part two on APRS because I, I know there's a lot more to this than we've really touched on. And I did not get as far into it as I had hoped because I started having some audio problems. But I do have it working again, and I definitely want to explore this further because it's a deep topic uh, with a lot of offshoots uh, and a lot of integrations with uh, RF repeating, uh, packet information, sending messages, uh, tactical response, MCOM, uh, and connections to the Internet. So there's a lot to touch on, but I think it's it's even deeper than one uh, deep dive will allow. The other thing, the APRS droid, if you have the right cable for your headset on your phone, will doesn't need a TNC. It will use a software-based modem. Um, it also, if you have the internet on your phone, it will do the iGate function, but then you have to have a working cell phone. 
<laughs> right. Some way right. to actually connect right. to the internet. Right. You, you got to have a SIM card and be connected. But you can take the old broken one and hook it up to a radio and have a uh, you know a position tracker. Absolutely. So that's nice. You can use a lot of uh, cast-off hardware to actually yeah. have a working APRS uh, location system. Well, like, and if you were going to uh, have yet another deep dive, I'd put together my little system again, and we could go through all the pieces on it, too. Yeah, if so. I get to the point where I actually have more information about this, then I will definitely set up another deep dive, because it's probably worth exploring a little bit more um, going forward. But I think that's probably enough for tonight, so we need to uh, move on a little bit, maybe get Cheryl involved here and do some announcements and feedback. Cool. She's putting her headphones on. She's pulling the microphone up to her face. Yeah, this is going to have to be quick. Okay, yeah, it's going to be quick. So are you in the pad? Yes. So we have a couple of announcements. These are ones that we've already touched on, but at least one of them is coming up very quickly. Very quickly. Yeah, in a couple of days, actually. So go ahead and uh, talk about that one. Okay. Um, For this week, we have the Oars Ham Fest in Mount Vernon, Missouri, and it is March 24th from 8 a.m. to 2 p.m., and K5TUX will be there, you know, speaking on a unknown topic at this point uh maybe i'm actually thinking of covering a few different linux-based applications for ham radio including some of the things i've done today here for like echolink and for aprs and stuff like that so hopefully people will find that interesting i don't want to like cover another intro like i did before so i want to get maybe a little deeper into deeper it deeper into it righty yep. then and the next one is for the green country ham fest in Claremore, Oklahoma, that is April 13th and 14th. On the 13th, it is 4 p.m. to 9 p.m. And on the 14th, it is 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. And we will more than likely be there in booth CE6, which is right outside the concession stand. Yep, it's between the concession stand and WB0W, so it's really easy to find. Yeah, you can't miss us, so... All right, and uh, information of that nature can be found on the website, and also we will be at Hamvention, of course. Um, we're getting really close to actually having the Indiegogo campaign up. That'll be sometime this week. I know it's taken forever, but uh, that's that's my fault entirely. That gives people extra time to save up some extra money to give us. That's true. So instead of giving us $1, you can give us $2. And then we only have one bit of feedback for this week, and that is from Tarion, K89ILI, and he responded to episode number 213, wherein I was griping about my antenna situation and trying to find a solution to it. He suggested a certain Wolf River Coil EV solution, which is actually a mobile-mounted, or a you know, not-permanent-mount uh, HF vertical which requires basically driving a mast into the ground, setting up the vertical antenna, dropping a few radials, and voila, you have an HF vertical installation, which actually would perform fairly well, uh, as opposed to some of the other non-radial and non-counterpoise solutions that are offered uh, at HRO and places like that for uh, relatively little money, but for relatively poor performance as well. So that was one solution. Um, I batted it around a little bit and probably going to have to go a different way. But I want to thank Tarion for the suggestion. And I'm still looking for uh, options on my uh, HF antenna setup. So if anybody has any, please send them this way. Uh, there have been lots of comments in the chat room about APRS. 
Uh, Don says he's got some information that he's going to send me, and all of those links and all that information will wind up in the show notes because uh, I know APRS is a huge topic, and we have not really been able to cover it all. So we will uh, maybe have a part two to this or in some other way address uh, APRS in the future. And in the meantime, you can check out the show notes and find uh, all the information we've discussed and probably a bunch we haven't. So with that, I believe we can call it a wrap. Bill, unfortunately, wasn't able to join us. He was at a work retreat, um, probably, like I said, getting drunk. Uh, retreat. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Uh, So, yeah, whatever he was doing, but he'll be, well, he should be back with us. He said he was going to be back in time for the next episode, but I guess we'll see what happens. That's Thursday night. That's Thursday night, yep. So thanks, Don, for filling in for Bill tonight. Thank you. Next time I'll try to be better prepared to at least talk on the topic. Oh, I think we uh, got some great information from you, and um, hopefully my information was useful as well. Also, we have Cheryl, who's over there. Good night, everyone. And we'll see you on Thursday for The Weekender. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the program by visiting the LHS Patreon page of patreon.com stroke LHS podcast or using the contribute link on the website. Get in touch via social media. The show has a presence on Google+, Facebook, Twitter, Discord and YouTube. Or you can drop an email to info at lhspodcast.info or record a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the IRC channel, LHS Podcast, on the Freenode IRC network. Also visit the online merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable LHS merchandise. Become an ambassador and represent LHS at a Linux convention or ham fest. Email ambassadors at lhspodcast.info or visit the website for details. The podcast is recorded live every Monday night at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. Connect to the stream at stream.blacksparrowmedia.net colon 8008 stroke LHS live. Until next time, over and out.
Linux in the Ham Shack and the Linux in the Ham Shack logo are released under a Creative Commons Attribute Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License.